Hey Slingers, it's been a while. Welcome back to the Word Slinger Podcast. And today we're revisiting an old friend, an old guest of the show, Steve Berry, thriller author. And I'm excited for this one, so stick around. Hey, how you doing on money? I know that's a touchy subject, but uh, I got something that may help you out. See, I'm using an app called Acorns. And it helps me manage some investing, uh, put some money back, get a little interest. It's kind of nice to watch my money grow. So I want to share that with you. Go to kevintumlinson.com acorns and you'll get some free money. See you there. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand. Write your book. Redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Well, I am Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger, and thank you for sticking around for another Word Slinger podcast. I know it's been a while. Um, we are, so, so much has changed. <laughs> since the last time I talked to you. And the biggest thing is, uh, Kara and I are no longer living full-time in the travel trailer because we are now living full-time in a travel van. Uh, so hashtag van life. So <laughs> we, um, <coughs> pardon me, we, um, we left Kerrville, Texas, which is the last time uh, you heard from me. And uh, we were heading back to the Houston area so that we could spend uh, some time going through our storage unit here, uh, kind of consolidating uh, a couple of different storage units. And what we decided was we would uh, stop. And we we'd been, we had kind of had this discussion, discussion about um, how it would have been nice had we gone with a van over uh, the travel trailer. Because the travel trailer was great, uh, and we really loved it. I really, uh, in some ways, I kind of miss it because it had a lot more space, a lot more living space than the van. Uh, the van is uh, built to accommodate two people uh, most of the time. I think that's the way it's designed. But it actually is uh, much more spacious than I'm making out to sound. Uh, but the idea was, Kara and I have discovered we are road trip people. We like to... Uh, hop in uh, at the time we'd hop into the truck we'd leave the travel trailer behind at the uh, RV resort and we would drive a couple hours go check out some other part of uh, the country and uh, then we'd have to turn around and drive a couple hours to get back so uh, that was never quite the plan Uh, so we decided you know it wouldn't be nice if we had the van had a van uh, and we could just stop here you know, uh, what would happen frequently is like we would be, uh, we were in Kerrville, which is only about 30 minutes from, uh, Fredericksburg, Texas. Uh, but we went to like Blanco and, uh, you know, went to San Antonio, went to a, a bunch of places kind of, uh, close by, but not so close, you know, it's still like an, an hour minimum to get to most places around there. Uh, and we thought, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to go back? Uh, we could, we'd have a, a bathroom with us. We'd have <laughs> the AC in this thing is kicking on full on. I'm sorry about the background noise. We'd have our bathroom. We'd have our beds. We'd have our little galley kitchen. We'd have, you know, a uh, refrigerator. So um, we decided, you know, it, it would be better to have the van if we could get one. And we kicked it around for a while. And we experimented. 
but we weren't really finding anything. And uh, when we did find something, it wasn't quite, uh, maybe it wasn't in our budget or maybe it wasn't, you know, we, we, we'd have to bend over backwards to make it fit the budget or something along those lines. Um, so on our way back from uh, Kerrville, we went through what we like to refer to as RV Alley uh, in the Houston area. It's in Katy, Texas on I-10, uh, where there are a whole bunch of RV dealerships, just one after the other. And there was one we, uh, we'd kind of visited a couple of times. We never bought anything from them, but we stopped at a place called Ron Hoover RV and Marine. And they just happened to have, they'd just gotten in a brand new 2021 Coachman uh, van, travel van. That has, uh, you know, solar on board, generators, uh, you know, all this stuff that makes it really quite cool for uh, boondocking is what, what they call it in the RV world where you, you're off grid for a time. Um, so, uh, you know, we thought, well, why not? We'll, we'll look into it. And we, we sort of put in a bid, basically, uh, offered our truck and our uh, camper for trade. And over the next week, we sort of went back and forth to... Uh, see if we could get the financing uh, dealt with, and boom, we, by the end of that week, we had a van, <laughs> and we've actually now been living in it for, uh, for two weeks, we're in it full time, uh, we're still in the Houston area, we're still dealing with, uh, because of the shift in how we're living, we had to shift how we lived in the van, we had to downsize again, uh, take more stuff out, and so that's what we've been working on, uh, is kind of finding the balance and what's happened is we've, we've it's turned out we've, we're living a more minimalist lifestyle in this van. So that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> we thought we were living minimalist before, but man, uh, we really cut things down. So, and it's changed, it's changed a lot about how I do my work, how Kara does her work. Uh, it's just overall, it's a, it's a very different experience and uh, we're, we're kind of adjusting to it. Uh, but we really, really like it. I mean, we just really like it. So um, that's where we are. So no longer camper life. Now it's hashtag van life. And Kara and I are, uh, we're going to, here in the next couple of weeks, we're, we're waiting on a couple of objects now. We're, uh, we're getting this hitch-mounted box uh, that will allow us to carry a few more things on the bumper of this thing. Um, that's going to make some, some, uh, some of our transition a little easier. Um, and then we're going to be rolling out of Texas finally and heading for someplace uh, north, cooler. It is not cool here. <laughs> it's very hot. Uh, very high temperatures and very high humidity here in the Houston, Texas area. So uh, that's, that's, uh, that's made this transition interesting. Uh, I actually think this is a good thing. Uh, because we're having to adjust to Houston heat and humidity in the van, it means that we're already kind of prepared to deal with a bit of discomfort. Um, but overall, it's actually been quite a comfortable experience, I have to say. Uh, it's just that the AC just runs constantly because uh, it just can't keep up with the uh, Texas heat. So won't be staying around hot places and humid places for sure uh, when we get out there. So uh, anyway, that's the update on uh, RV life, van life, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what we uh, what we come up with from there. If you've been following me on Facebook and uh, YouTube, um, I am uh, I've been talking about this for the past couple of weeks now um, on my Kevin show. So uh, if you ha if you haven't seen that, um, go to YouTube.com/slash Kevin Tomlinson. That's my personal channel. And that, that's where I'm just, I'm starting to do a lot more content there. So uh, make sure you subscribe to me there. I'm, I'm not, 
Some stuff is oriented towards authors. Some stuff is oriented towards the RV stuff. Uh, but it's a mishmash of everything I do. Uh, so uh, go check that out and uh, subscribe. Subscribe and hit the little bell notification <laughs> for notifications. Uh, I'll get the patter down as I get more into the YouTube space. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't want to delay you any longer. We're seven minutes in. Actually, we're probably a little longer than that. And uh, I've got this interview with Steve Barry that I did quite a while back. So I'm glad to uh, finally produce this episode. Uh, I'm going to see about uh, figuring out ways to start doing the production side of this. It's been challenging uh, because we're just kind of still getting used to everything in the uh, in the uh, van. Um, even my writing has been a little off. I'm not doing as much. I'm doing a little each day, but I'm not doing as much as I prefer. Uh, so there's some adjustment there. But uh, we're, we're getting there. We're going to get into the rhythm of it. I can already see it happening. So... Uh, soon. So anyway, I'm sorry for the delays. Um, bear with me as we kind of adjust to multiple new lifestyles. This is the fourth RV in four years that we've owned. <laughs> Go figure. I'm going to be uh, writing a little something about that soon. Uh, probably for the blog or something. So uh, stick around. So anyway, uh, until then, we're going to jump right into this interview with Steve Barry. And I hope you enjoy it. We may do a little... I, I haven't decided yet whether I'm coming back after the interview or not. We'll see. Uh, I'm trying out a whole new thing here. So uh, if I don't see you on the other side, uh, God bless you. And I'll see you next time. But I'm, I'm going to try to swing back around. So we're going to see. I know. I know. Uh, this is this is production on the computer. So enjoy this interview with Steve Bear. Hey everybody, now I almost don't even need to introduce today's guest. Uh, first of all, he's been on the show once before, uh, but he's also a New York Times and USA Today bestseller, international bestseller. Uh, so you've probably seen his work. I'm talking to thriller author Steve Barry. Hey Steve, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, thank you. We're talking about your new book today, which uh, has not arrived in my mailbox yet, but I went ahead and bought it online so I could read it. Uh, that's the one, Malta Exchange, man. <laughs> Why don't you uh, give me a rundown? What's the? I know I know what the book is about. Why don't you tell the listeners and the viewers uh, what what Malta Exchange is all about? Well, uh, a pope has died, a conclave has been called, and a cardinal has fled Rome, headed to Malta, in search of a document from the fourth century. And Cotton gets caught up in all this intrigue that happens around this ticking clock down to when the conclave begins. And it deals with something from history, something that's real, something I think that will surprise readers. Um, this is not a book about a secret that destroys the Catholic church though. That's not what this book is about. In fact, every character in this book, the last thing in the world they wanna do is destroy the Catholic church. So it, it's, it's a little bit different in that regard. It deals with an aspect of religion that I've not seen dealt with in fiction, and that's why I decided to deal with it. That's interesting. So you, uh, you write about the Knights of Malta, which I had not actually, surprisingly, had not actually heard about before. So is that, uh, where did you kind of pick up the trail on those guys? When I was in Malta, I was there and uh, toured Valletta, was all over Valletta, and saw all of the things that the Knights had built uh, all those centuries ago, and I got kind of interested in them. I began to do some more research. They're the last of the warrior monks that still exist. The Templars are gone. The Teutonics are gone. 
But the Hospitallers, which is what they were called originally, are still here, and now they're yeah. called the Knights of Malta. They're headquartered in Rome now, in two small villas in Rome, which together form the smallest country in the world. Uh, those two villas, 150 nations recognize the Knights of Malta as a sovereign entity, which is kind of interesting. That is interesting. Uh, well, they're, they also have observer status at the UN, which is kind of interesting too. And they are a worldwide humanitarian organization, but I just resurrected some cool stuff inside them that used to be there a long time ago and brought it back again. That's really, so did you go specifically to Malta to research this or did, did you already know about time. Not the first okay. time. Second time I did, yes. Yeah, that's specific. That's uh, probably a bit better than just hopping on Google and Wikipedia and finding out. <laughs> well, you're going to learn a whole lot more on the ground. And you, True. That's why I go. And uh, you, you've got to learn some things. You've got to see some things. You've got to deal with it. And, and I was fortunate uh, that I got to see all that. And, uh, and, and I did get some ideas. What was it? Uh, what was sort of the spark, though? When you were in Malta the first time, I assume you got the idea. So what, what was it that triggered that? I don't really know if there was one thing. It was just sort of a, a conglomerate of it. If you go to Valletta and you walk through there, you're, you're, li you're literally walking in the 16th century. So right. you're assaulted from all sides with stuff. Yeah. And, and, and a novel began to form in my brain as I was doing that. Now, I wasn't all there, but I got enough of it. Yeah. And then I went back the second time specifically to hunt down what I was looking for and began to put it together and, and make, make the books. So I think it was the whole place. I mean, Malta is one of those great places. If you're, if you're looking for a really cool place to take a vacation, that is a cool place to go. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've been kind of sniffing around online, uh, walking the streets on Google Maps just to check it out. And it's really interesting. It's probably a place I'll visit soon. <laughs> oh, well, that's one of the purposes of the novel, to get people interested in going to see these places. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So it's a uh, thriller slash travelogue. <laughs> I kind of. I, I, I have people tell me all the time that they read the books and get an urge to want to go and see those places. Well, that's true. Some of the places that are on my uh, must-visit list actually came out of your books. So I guess you're you're pulling that off, man. Trying. So I'm always curious when uh, authors are when when their work is. In a uh, I buy them at a used bookshop not far from here, about an hour away from here, that has a humongous history department and uh, thousands of volumes in it. And I'm able to get a good range and they change constantly. It's uh, constantly updated. So I buy most of them there. The rest I get when I'm on site on the trips. Yeah. And then I use a few ebooks, not very many, but a few. Ebooks are bad for research I, because I need an index, I need right. a bookable index. I don't read 400 books, but I read large chunks of 400 books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, and I have to find the chunks I'm looking for in those books. Right. And an index is important. And the eBooks, they, they got to work on that. They got to get those indexes to work a little better. Yeah. Yeah. That's something it's eBooks are, you know, I'm in that business, of course. So eBooks are tough when it comes to that sort of thing. We're, yeah, we're working fine. to solve it. They're fine to take along and, and thumb through them and read passages, but, you're going to have to thumb through the whole book to find what you're looking for. Yeah. Now are you a notes in the margin guy or do you keep no, like a separate I write, notebook? I write on 
paper. I write them, my notes are separately. And when I'm done, it's about that tall of, uh, of paper. And I'm only wow. going to use about 10% of it. Right. You know, the rest of it's going to, you know, but I write it all down. So I'll have it. So I don't have to go hunt it again. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my problem is I'll do notes like that, uh, handwritten notes. And then I, I can't remember where in that stack the, uh, the little tidbits were that I wanted to reference. So <laughs> well, I, I have that trouble sometimes too. What I do is I organize this, the notes by subject matter. So okay. that makes it a little easier. So I can narrow down like, Valletta will have a section. The, the Co-Cathedral would have had a section. Okay. Lake Como would have had a section. I have them broken up, at least in, in subject matter, yes. Yeah, yeah. So Malta must be in the zeitgeist right now. Uh, uh, my good friend, Ernest Dempsey, who's also a, a thriller writer, is writing a Malta book. Uh, so uh, that, that must be... Or, and he said he swears to me that he didn't know your book was going to exist when he well, started Chris doing his research. Wrote one too, and his yeah. came last October, and I didn't know he was writing. <laughs> That's the way that happens, right? Yeah. Suddenly, everybody's writing on the same topic. You get fifty Malta books and twenty. Uh, well, it's, it's interesting for that to happen because it's fun to see how we deal with it. Uh, Chris dealt with Malta in a completely different way than I did. Yeah. So we we dealt with it, and so it'll be interesting to see what this guy does with it. It's just yeah. Different imaginations. Yeah, I'm going to give it a year, and then I'll do a multiple. I'll go visit Malta, and then I'll, I'll do my own version later. <laughs> Once you go, you'll want to do it. You'll see what I mean. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm already intrigued because you know I thought I knew about all the uh, little secret clandestine organizations that are out there. So it's okay. it's always interesting to discover something new under the sun. So um, I you know the last time you're here, I didn't really get a chance. We kind of scratched the surface. I didn't really get a chance to talk to you about Cotton Malone himself, like the character and what the origins of that character were. Do you, how, how did you uh, how did you construct Cotton? Well, he he came to me one evening in Copenhagen in Highbrow Plods, and I was having dinner there, and he just sort of popped in my brain, and I decided he was going to live right there and have a bookshop there, and then I got some of his some of his characteristics. I, I wanted him to be, uh, you know, retired agent. So I wanted him not to have any uh, connections. I wanted him divorced from his wife. So he didn't have a, a wife and have to deal with all that. I mean, yeah. heroes have, don't aren't attached. So I wanted him unattached. Uh, I wanted him to, to be an ordinary kind of guy, but extraordinary when he needed to be. And, and, you know, he's not a guy, he doesn't go to the gym and work out every day. He doesn't run right. five miles and, but he's in good shape though. He's not, you know, he can handle himself and, 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 and deal with what needs to be done. And he's smart and he's, and he's intelligent, but he, but he's also human. So he makes mistakes. I wanted him to be a human that messes yeah. up, but he's able to recover from those mistakes. And I created him in Templar, and, and I wasn't arrogant enough to think that I'd get to write, you know, 14 books with him. I was just hoping yeah. to do one, maybe two, if we're lucky. Right. But he caught on. Templar did really well. It's still, to this day, my largest selling novel. Yeah. And remains my largest selling novel. And, and then Alexandria Link did even better, and then they just kept growing, and he said he's still around now, 14 books later. He's a little different. He's not the same guy that he was. Right. Um, he, he, uh, he settled down a little bit. I never thought he would. He, you know, he has one love interest. I never thought he would. I thought he would play the field, but he, but he didn't. And he's, yeah. 
a little bit, uh, a little more, a little more introspective, a little more uh, emotional, a little more, um, I don't know, not as cold as I think he might have developed. Right. Changed along the way. That is what's interesting to me about that. And I start to wonder if there is a sort of inevitability to these character arcs. My, my character, my protagonist has kind of gone that same route. He softened quite a bit. Uh, he was sort of a womanizer when I first introduced him and now he's kind of got his a solid relationship. I wonder if it's just, I wonder how much of that is us maturing as we, as we write these characters. <laughs> a little bit of both in there. For me, it was my wife, Elizabeth. She's the one who made it, made him, she changed him. Okay. You know, she, she changed him a lot and, and Cassiopeia changed him and Cassiopeia, she, she, championed Cassiopeia and as Cassiopeia right. was champion she worked on Malone and changed him to some degree and it is a little bit of us growing but you also want your characters to change no matter how right. you started him he needed to change right and right. because you can't write 18 you know, 14 18 books with the same guy and he he never learns his lesson. He just resets doing, with each book, right? Doing the same dumb things over and over again so yeah they have to change you uh so that character uh who's influenced that character me. in terms of you he's mostly my, he's me he's yeah he, when i created him i just put my personality in there so he's okay he's, he's me and Cassie is her yeah so it makes it easier there's actual arguments in there that her and i have actually had whoa with the actual <laughs> brave <words>. that's very <laughs> brave yeah, yeah it is, but, uh, it, there's a there's a, a little bit of both of us in those characters. Have your readers commented on uh, that that character's changes over over yes, time? I noticed it, and mm -hmm. it, you know, I didn't hide. I didn't hide the change. He's not touchy feely, and he doesn't cry every five seconds. Right. But, he, but he's not as cold and impassioned and in and 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 impersonal as I might have developed him to some degree. Right. What what what's motivating him to do the? I mean, because he gets himself in a lot of trouble. Um, not not be, always intentionally. <laughs> yeah, it used to be you know, a friend friend needs his help, his family needs his help, yeah. Stephanie needs his help. But I ran out of those. I mean, you know, yeah. so many books you run out. So now he works for money. He just works for money. He needs to make the money and he gets paid. But what I've done is, is each time it starts off as something simple, mm -hmm. and it becomes something much more. Yeah. So and there's a little bit of a personal motivation in there but mm -hmm. in the old days it was a lot of a personal motivation right but i just ran out after about 10 12 books you just run out of those yeah things so you I, don't really think about when, <laughs> when no, you start it's a good problem to have i mean yeah. you, know, you have but i just i just transitioned him to uh to a to hired gun is what he is okay okay and uh a hired gun who's tied in with history it's just really in, uh, an interesting well, it's caught story. up in all these things and, and yeah. usually the job starts off as something simple and then in this book it started off something simple he was going to retrieve some some letters and yeah. he was sent to, to to either buy them or steal them yeah one or the other just get them yeah. and it turns into something far bigger far much more and he stays in because he realizes stephanie nail needs his help Right. And very loyal to Stephanie, and he's not going to leave her in a lurch. That's the way Malone's very loyal. He's a very loyal guy. Yeah. And he could have easily got gone home, said, I'm done, I'm out of here. But no, he said, no, she's in trouble. She needs my help. I'm going to stay there and finish it up for her. 
So have you ever, in the process of your research and, and in writing these books, have you ever accidentally sort of stumbled on some intrigue of, of some level, some real world intrigue? Nothing real. Well, I've stumbled on historical mysteries that I didn't know existed. Hmm. There's one in this novel that deals with the Holy See itself and the financial corruption that's going on within yeah. the, uh, the government of the Catholic Church. And I, that's not made up. That's real. And it's wow. there. And so I didn't know about that. I kind of came across it in the research and then I decided to include it in the novel. Yeah, that's the interesting stuff. I, I, readers are always asking about that. Like, I think readers secretly want us to be spies or, uh, you know, hired gunmen or something. We're not. We're just, uh, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> wordsmiths as you're, as you well, or as we would say, wordslingers. You're wordslingers. Exactly. Yeah. Scotch drinking at times. That's about the most dangerous thing I do in a day. Uh, so you, uh, because of a conversation with you, I had already been considering this, but you, you tipped the balance for me. I went ahead and joined uh, International Thriller Writers. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, what, so how are things going with that organization? It, it, what's the biggest benefit, by the way? I could speak personally, but I mean, what's the biggest benefit for writers uh, to join an organization like that? Networking. Yeah. Networking. I mean, you're, you're, you've got 5,000 working. You've got 5,000 members. 4,000 plus are working thriller writers. Yeah, that's and and the biggest names in the business too are in, are in. So we we have we have them all. Uh, yeah. Membership in ITW is free uh, if you're published by an approved publisher and there's no dues or anything. We have a so we have a lot of folks. But the networking, you're going to have direct access to so many people. Thriller Fest gives you direct access. That's our gathering every summer in in New York City. That's summer camp for thriller writers and thriller enthusiasts. So it's networking. It's being able to, to contact someone, to ask a question, to help, but it's all there. Thriller writers are some of the most generous people I've ever known. They're very, yeah. very out, very easy to work with, very giving. You don't see a lot of jealousy and, and, and that type of thing. Everybody wants everybody to succeed. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been interesting. It's very, everyone is very helpful. Everyone, not just the, the guys kind of at my level or lower they're they're also the you know guys all the way up the chain who are willing to talk to people willing to share advice there's absolutely. all kinds of help absolutely i spend the week of thriller fest i probably plot somewhere between 10 and 15 novels during that week wow really i am a terrific plotter of other people's work <laughs> <laughs> do they get do they credit you in uh, when i'm not so books? good i'm not so good at my own but i i can really do it for somebody else pretty good. yeah it's and, uh, that's funny uh, so uh, i do i spend a lot of time plotting books just and why and why what what is it that drives you to to uh, well, help they out help. Like they need help mm -hmm. i mean they, yeah. they have a problem and they they explain the problem i've i've done it longer than they have so usually i can see the solution to that problem fairly yeah. quickly. It, like I said, it's very easy to see other, to solve other people's problems. Right. Right. Hard time doing my own plotting is very difficult. Right. right. But I can see it very clearly with the others. So they're basically asking you for your experience and your, yeah. and your help. And I don't mind doing that. And I'm not the only one. I know lots of folks who do that. Yeah. And you're meeting the, these through uh, the organization in the conference. You'll meet, well, you'll meet them as members and at the conference yeah. and, all over the, you know, anytime you're out and at bookstores, I mean, I see ITW members. I just came back from tour. I saw a lot of ITW. Members. Yeah. Yeah. We need a challenge coin or. Yeah, know. we do need that. We need like a, a coin like that. It would be kind of cool. wouldn't it? <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> That'd be uh, yeah. All right, I'll I'll uh, I'll get on uh, working that out for you guys. That way mm-hmm. I can contribute. Uh, all right. Well, so uh, the book I. I I'm enjoying it. I haven't gotten to finish it yet. I was, I had waited for, uh, I was going to get a copy in the mail. Uh, and I think it's still on its way. Things went all kinds of haywire mail wise for me, uh, here in the Houston, Texas area, but I did buy it on Kindle and I've been uh, reading it. I just didn't get to finish reading it before we chatted. So I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Thank you. I, just, I just came back from Houston. I was at murder by the book Friday night. Uh, you know, you were there, and I did not get to come by. I knew you were going to be there, and I got uh, I got kind of sidetracked into a whole other thing. So I'm sorry yeah. I missed you. Scott Brick was there with me, who does my yeah. audios. Yeah. yeah, pretty cool to have the audio narrator there. Yeah, he's a fantastic narrator, by the way. Oh, he's great. He's yeah. number one. He's best. And yeah, he's hear the his best. voice and everything. And so uh, yeah, everybody's everyone's very curious to ask him a lot of questions. Yeah. Do you work pretty closely with uh, the narrators at all? Only uh, if they need a pronunciation of something okay. like that. If they say, how do you, like I, I use a lot of real people's names in my books. So they want to make sure that they pronounce those names correctly. Right. Right. All so right, I just, man. I do that. But that's about all that I do. I, I very seriously regret that I did not get to come see you. Uh, Cause I like Scott too. I've not, I've, uh, I haven't gotten to talk to him one-on-one yet. We know each other. We, we have a lot of mutual acquaintances. I know all the find away voices guys and he works with those guys. So I'll have to circle around with him. So, uh, all right, well, look, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time to chat with me. I'm really enjoying the book. So I know everybody listening will enjoy the book. Well, I hope they do. It's out in stores now and they can find out more about me and the books at steveberry.org. All right. Well, you heard it here, folks. Go to steveberry.org. Check out the Malta Exchange and all the others. There's 13 other books in that series that you are bound to enjoy if you like these archaeological thrillers and historic thrillers. So, oh, you and I, uh, you're, I'm like four gaps away from you on the historical thriller uh, list right now, man. Catching up to you. Come on. <laughs> I don't think I can. You I don't can think do. I'm going to top you. All right. Well, uh, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Right now, you're hearing the Groovy Bridge music. You may dance in place at will. If you stick around, I'm sure to say something really interesting on the other side of this break. So we'll see you there. Well, okay. So here I am. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I had to come back for just a little final word. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Barry. I know uh, I enjoy talking to him. This is the second time we've had him on the show. Um, he's an interesting guy. He writes uh, books in the same genre that I like to write in. Uh, so that, that's been fun. And I hope you, there was something you uh, could take away from that that might help in your own writing career. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. I just wanted to say a quick hello and goodbye here at the end. Um, make sure you are following me in the various places. So uh, a new website you might want to check out is authorontheroad.com. Uh, and that will allow you to follow my journey. Also, for the authors, uh, for author-centric stuff, check out indieauthorblueprint.com. And normally, I have a little ad at the beginning, but I didn't, uh, I didn't port that out. I'm producing this on the po- the iPad right now, so I still got some uh, pieces missing. But go to indieauthorblueprint.com. We, Roland Denzel, and I are uh, creating content. We're finding content online. We're building a, a presence that's meant to help indie authors. 
uh, in, as they uh, sort of build and grow their author careers and trying to make this a little easier for you. So go check that out. Uh, that's the important one for you as an author. And uh, otherwise, uh, make sure you check out authoontheroad.com to see what Kara and I are doing as we move about in the world. And please go on YouTube. Go on YouTube and uh, go to Kevin uh, youtube.com slash Kevin Tomlinson and uh, subscribe to me there. Uh, it helps. I need to get up to like a thousand subscribers soon uh, so that I can start using some of the tools. Uh, and then we're going to hopefully skyrocket that number from there. But go subscribe and uh, share that with some folks. Uh, have some friends and family go uh, check it out. I hope you enjoy The Kevin Show and all the other stuff that will inevitably show up on, uh, Kevin, on the uh, Kevin Tomlinson channel. So that's it. Thank you so much for being a part of uh, this Wordslinger podcast episode. And I hope you have a safe and happy weekend out there in the weeks ahead. Uh, God bless you. We'll see you all next time.